Turn to Psalm 105. going to break in to our series on Romans this Sunday uh, as we are preparing to celebrate uh, a national holiday of Thanksgiving. I thought it would be appropriate to preach on the theme of Thanksgiving this Sunday morning. We're going to read verses 1 to 22. And this psalm is a a history of God's faithfulness to His covenant promise to give His people the land of of Canaan. And it walks through the different stages of Him fulfilling that promise. You can see that specifically in verse 11. Hear the word of our God. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of all His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that He has done, His miracles and the judgments He uttered. O offspring of Abraham, His servant, children of Jacob, His chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever the word that He commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that He made with Abraham, His sworn promise to Isaac, which He confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. He allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in a collar of iron, until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the peoples set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions, to bind his princes at his pleasure, and to teach his elders wisdom. This is the word of the Lord. This is a time in our year as, as a nation where we celebrate the holiday of, of Thanksgiving, a time for us to take a step back and to reflect upon God's goodness for uh, the past year. In Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he makes a statement that is often read and and one that many of us are familiar with, but often uh, read in association with Thanksgiving holiday. Paul tells the the, the church, the Christians in Thessalonica this. He says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks 
in all circumstances. Really? Much easier said than done, isn't it? In 2020, with everything going on in our country, with everything going on in the world, with COVID, with all of the, the tensions in society, um, just had a, uh, an election, uh, all of this stuff that's going on in the world, not to mention what's going on in your personal lives. Give thanks in all circumstances. Well, how important is thanksgiving? It's certainly something that's more than just one time a year for us. It should be a, a, a pattern of living for us. It should be a characteristic, a mark of who a Christian is. We should be a people identified by thanksgiving and joy in our God in all circumstances. Now that's hard. How do we, how do we get to that point? Let me ask you this first of all. How important is thanksgiving? Well, according to Paul in the book of Romans, which we've been studying, it is, uh, as I've just said, a mark of true spiritual conversion. It's a mark of life in Christ Jesus. In Romans 1, verse uh, 21, Paul indicates that those who reject God, who worship idols, are characterized by a lack of thanksgiving. So the absence of gratitude is an indicator of practical atheism. Now we all confess the Nicene Creed. We all said, hey, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. But that's a formal, confessional thing. What about the practical evidence of that? How do you know you believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit? Well, in part, it's by your thankfulness. Do you look at everything that goes on in your life and see the hand of God operative in it? And therefore, have you conditioned your soul to be thankful in all things. That's uh, much easier said than it is done. And it's a process of growth and maturity as we um, fulfill it. To give thanks is to acknowledge that God is fully willing and capable of keeping the promises He makes to be a God to us, to provide salvation for us, to provide spiritual care and protection over us. And there's two lessons that we learn from Psalm 105 that help us to understand how we can give thanks in all circumstances, even in the year 2020 with all of the, the negative things, the depressing things that are taking place. How can we give thanks? And there's two points I want to make, two lessons that we learn that help us uh, to obey this commandment. First of all, we need to learn a right perspective on life. A lot of times our lack of thanksgiving is a lack of perspective. And then the second thing the second point of the sermon is learning a right response to God. How, how do we uh, view ourselves in this world 
in response to God, the creature-creator dynamic. First point, learning a right perspective on life. The psalm was uh, written for a, sp a specific occasion in the life of the Israelites. It was sung by the nation when they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem for the first time, when it was housed in, in the tabernacle in Jerusalem. This is before the temple was built, but it, it indicated a, a development in the history of God's people. They had been fighting for the land of Canaan. Uh, it had been a long, intense struggle for hundreds of years. And now in the, the kingship of David and Solomon, they reach their climax, their high point, their golden age as a nation. They, David defeats most of the enemies of, of the people. They have a season of peace and tranquility and success and blessing. And it's marked by bringing the Ark of the Covenant to the city. In the opening few verses, there are ten imperatives, ten commands. Listen to them. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Rejoice in the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek His presence continually. And remember the wondrous works that He has done. Those are the commands that the psalmist is placing upon the people. And we're going to focus particularly, although they're all related, but particularly on the first one. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Now, why this exhortation? Why, why do we need to hear this? Why do we need to be uh, pelted with ten different commandments to think about and remember God's goodness, to seek Him, to praise Him, to glorify, to exult in our God. Well, the reason is because we're, we're spiritually immature at times. We, um, we become lazy. We become distracted. We get focused on life circumstances and they consume us with negativity and we cannot see the bigger picture. Let me tell you, in the last eight months, as a pastor and talking to other pastors, Christians are more prone right now to grumble and complain, to moan, to be downcast, frustrated. I hear a lot of, of those types of things, complaints about how things are done or how they're not done. And I'm not hearing a lot of just exuberant thanksgiving from the people of God right now. We're still in a process of sanctification. We're growing in godliness. We're, we're, we're immature spiritually. And therefore the devil can tempt us. He can take these things to distract us and drag us down. Let me give you an example. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, the German monk of uh, the Protestant Reformation. At times he 
was, he was, from what I understand, a very gregacious, bubbly, outward-going personality, a big personality, kind of the life of the party type of a guy. And if you've read anything of him, you, you probably pick up on that. But he was prone at times to become very miserable, downcast, and negative. And uh, his life was hard. He was persecuted. He, people were out to get him. To see, they were seeking to put him in prison, to kill him, to excommunicate him from the church. All of this stuff was going on. Well, he, he, uh, there's an episode where he was really downcast and negative. And his wife, Catherine Von Bura, she, um, he, he's sitting in the parlor of their house or the dining room or something. And he's moping around, and he's all negative. And she walks in in a black dress with a black veil. And he says to her, are you going to a funeral? And her response is, no. But since you act like God is dead, I wanted to join you. So when we are caught up in this miserable, negative complaining type of a mood, we are practically saying, even though we may confess the Nicene Creed, but we are practically saying God has disappeared from our lives. We're not practicing what Paul the Apostle calls us to do, to give thanks in all circumstances. It's a reflection of our spiritual immaturity. And Luther was a giant compared to most of us spiritually. If it happened to him, surely it can happen to us. The Psalms are great because they deal with the nitty-gritty reality of life. They don't, they don't present this picture of the Christian life as if we're all just these perfect little angels going through life. No, it, it shows the raw, gritty nature of the battle we have against forces of evil, against our own flesh, against the world, and how at times we win and at times it gets the best of us. And I'm sure you can relate. In Psalm 103, just two Psalms back, we see David wrestling with himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. Why does David have to say that? Because he has a tendency to forget. He has a tendency to, to not do the things that he's called to do. So what is thanksgiving according to Psalm 105? Well, I think the psalmist, when he talks about giving thanks, it's in this context of looking back at God's dealings with His people in the context of His covenant promises. What did God promise in verse 11? To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Promise He made to Abraham. And then he looks back at all of the things, all of the steps, all of the stages in God actually fulfilling that promise. We're told to remember in verse 5, remember the wondrous works that He has done. And I think that's a little hint at the first lesson we learn about perspective. Uh, in verses 8 and 42 we have a bracket 
that uh, form around the psalm that teach us what the psalm is really about. Verse 8, he remembers, this is God, he remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. So God hadn't forgotten what he said to Abraham, that he was going to give his people a land. And then verse 42, for he remembers his holy promise and Abraham his servant. Now, how does that relate to us? We're not looking for the land of Canaan to, uh, to take over and to conquer. Well, in the Old Testament, the land of Canaan was a symbol of the new heavens and the new earth. So, what is God promising us? He's promising us an inheritance. He's promising a new heavens and a new earth that we will dwell in forever and ever. And when you look around the world in, 2000, in 2020, how much of the new heavens and the new earth do you see? Not much. So has God forgotten His promise? How do, we, how do we keep ourselves focused on His promise when it appears as if He's abandoned all of that? Think about David uh, writing about, or whoever the psalmist is, I think it's David, writing about all of these things that God has, has done along the way to prepare the people to receive the promised land. He focuses on things like the deliverance from Egypt and the ten plagues that God demonstrates in Egypt, how He delivers them from famine through Joseph, how He uh, redeems them you know, through the work uh, of David over Goliath. But, but along the journey, there was a lot of difficulty. There were times when they could have doubted seriously God's commitment to them. David is writing at a high point, but there were a lot of low points along the journey. For 400 years, right after the time uh, of Abraham to the time of Moses, for 400 years, the children of God were enslaved in Egypt. Do you think at times they wanted to doubt and murmur and grumble and complain? Well, they actually did that. For 40 years after they were delivered out of Egypt, for the first generation, the first 40 years, they're taken out into the wilderness and a whole generation dies because of their complaining hearts. Think about the ups and downs in the period of the judges. All of this getting us uh, to the point where we are in the psalm today. The psalmist teaches us this, we've got to have a big picture view of life. I know many of you have been out hiking in, in a forest or in the mountains. And think about it like this. Uh, you're out walking down a, a mountain trail surrounded by pine trees. And you come across a pine tree. Pine trees are evergreens. They're supposed to be green all year round. But this one is, the pine needles are drooping and falling and they're brown. And you can tell that there's something just not right with this pine tree. It's, it's not healthy. It's either got a disease or there's a bug that's eating away at it. It looks horrible. So as you're gazing at this pine tree and you're fixated on this one tree in the forest, you come to the conclusion because you're so fixated on this one tree and you have no perspective, you come to the conclusion that the forest is unhealthy. And at the same time you're looking at this pine tree, there's an airplane flying over the forest. 
And the airplane is seeing things from a different perspective. The airplane can see a vast expanse of green where this forest expands for thousands and thousands of acres. And the pilot of the airplane says, man, that is a beautiful, healthy forest. Praise God, I love beholding His beauty. Well, see, this is what happens with us when we get negative and complaining and miserable. We get focused on some little thing going on in our immediate context. Something bad is happening. A, a bad year, a bad whatever. And, and we make all of our judgments about life based on our fixation on this, this particular thing. And we cannot see the big picture of how God is at work in our lives. This is what the psalm is telling us. Take three or four steps back and look at it, look at God's working panoramically. You think about the church today in America. I know I talked to some of you and you know, you, you're worried about the church. What's going to happen to the church? Is the church going to fall apart? Is the church going to apostatize? Is the PCA going to leave its roots? What's going to happen to the church? And we get all panicky about it. But do we understand that the church is bigger than Main Street? It's bigger than the PCA. The Kingdom of God is expanding all over the world. We had a, a church that we supported in Northeast India when I lived in Wales. And in the year 2005 there were, were 4,000 members of this church and 50 churches. So 50 individual churches, total membership of 4,000. Uh, 4, in about seven year, in a seven year period, that church in Northeast India grew from 4,000 members to 15,000. From 50 churches to 120,000, or to 120 churches. Massive expansion. And although in the West we have a tendency to see the church declining and fading, we're not, we're part of a worldwide global kingdom. The Holy Spirit is building the church, fulfilling the promises of God to expand to all the nations of the world. It is happening today. Do not lose the perspective. Take three or four steps back and absorb the whole big picture of what God is doing. And you can give thanks today. You can rejoice. God is not dead. Think about it personally. Uh, sometimes we get a little frustrated with our lack of progress in Christian growth and maturity. Our sanctification gets a little frustrating. I, um, I remember uh, early on in my Christian walk, I, I'd read a lot about the, in the book of John about loving others, and thought to myself, "Man, I don't, I don't, I, I must not be a Christian because I don't, I don't love people like the Bible is telling me to do. People frustrate me and upset me, and we all understand this." And one of the mentors, one of the men who was a mentor in my life, he said, "Todd, come here. I want you to." Think about it like this. If you are sitting in a, in, a, in a yard looking at the grass grow, you ever spent a couple of days doing that? Good. Nobody has. Would you see it growing? If you're sitting there watching it every day, you wouldn't see it growing. But if you looked at it, took a picture on your phone, 
and then came back a month later, you would see massive growth in it. That's the same with us in our personal lives. We may, we have little blips and ups and downs in our sanctification. But sometimes it's a healthy exercise for us to take a look at our life over 10 years, over 20 years, over 30 years. Look back at where you were 20, 30, 40 years ago, and you can see the hand of God in your sanctification much more clearly. So, the first lesson we get from the psalmist is perspective. We cannot be driven by particular negative circumstances. We've got to see them all as part of a whole work of God. We have to have an eye on the big picture. And when we do, if we get a a diagnosis of cancer, if we go through some relationship difficulty, if we have some financial difficulty, we can see it all from a big picture standpoint and take it in stride and see how God is at work in it. The second thing in the, in the psalm that, that I want to point out is we need to learn a right perspective and a, a right response, excuse me, to God. Israel is in the process of inheriting the, the land of Canaan. They're at a high point. They've, uh, they've achieved relative success over the Canaanite nations through, primarily through David, but a lot of other people along the way. They are about to enter a season of peace. And look at verse 12. Israel is reminded that it is God who carried them through all of this. Israel is reminded of their weakness and inability to have done it on their own or in their own strength. Verse 12, when they were few in number of little account and sojourners in the land, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account. They were vulnerable. They were weak. They can't claim any, uh, anything to themselves. It was God who was constantly working and caring for them. Now, we've got to have this view of life. We've got to respond to all of, of the details in our lives and see God's hand in it. Why, does it, why are we called to give thanks every time we sit at a, uh, at a meal together? Because God is actually the reason for it. God has given it. Not, it's not through our hard work and effort alone. God has opened doors. He has made ways. He has given us gifts to allow us to earn a living and to provide food on our tables. They had no place to call their home. They had no power to possess the lands. They were promised a permanent home through the conquest of their enemies, and their enemies were great. They were mighty men. They were giants. They were well-trained in the art of warfare. They had fortified cities. How did they achieve success over their enemies? The psalmist reminds us that it is God who they are to give thanks to for all of their Blessings. Look at uh, verses 12 to 15. We read of God protecting them. When they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in the land, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, 
Touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. And we're told by Jesus that the, the church will grow and develop in this world and the gates of hell will never conquer it. Do you think that Jesus, even at this time that we're living in, is not saying to the powers and the principalities of darkness these same words that He said to the kings in the land of Canaan, touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. What a picture of God's love and care for us. If we are His children, He protects us, He guards us, and He keeps the enemy's hands away from us. When we are in the hands of the Father, nothing can take us out, is what Jesus tells us in John. So, He protects. Verse 26, we see, we read of His deliverance from the Egyptians. He sent Moses, His servant, and Aaron, whom He had chosen. They performed His signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against His words. He is a deliverer from times of trouble. And then in verse 42 and 43, we are reminded that He is a faithful God to do all that He promised. For he remembered his holy promise, and Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. As we develop and cultivate this art of spiritual thanksgiving, when we start to, to view things with a right perspective and we respond to God correctly, it encourages us in our prayers. Verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples. Why, why should we pray to God? Why should we make our requests known to Him? Because we know He's a promise keeper. He does what He says He's going to do, and therefore we pray the promises back to Him. Oh God, remember to be merciful to my sins. Oh God, remember you said you would take away the stony heart and give me a heart of flesh. Remember you said that you would cause me to see and to understand from your word. Remember you told me that you would enable me to be a worshiper of you. Do we hold and claim and pray these promises with confidence because God is faithful? Verse 4, seek the Lord and His strength, seek His presence continually. Are we seeking to live our lives not through our own personal power, but through the strength of the Lord? And then this leads to proper worship. A thankful people are a worshiping people. And that's what this psalm is cultivating, a, a spirit of, of worshipfulness. Thanksgiving is the oil that greases the engine of worship. Thanksgiving is the foundation of praise and adoration to God. And I would say this as a, a practical way of, of helping us to worship on a Sunday morning. Maybe when you come into the sanctuary, uh, a lot of us were frazzled and we're, we got a lot going on in the morning and we're just kind of dragging ourselves in the door to sit and worship God. But maybe you should take a minute or two before you start the worship service to reflect on what you're thankful to the Lord for. 
And that will put you in the right mood to worship God. Now, life just isn't this simple, is it? Life is hard and complex and difficult, and God throws us curveballs and trials and difficulties that we don't expect, just like this whole year has been uh, an illustration of. It's difficult to pray in all circumstances. But I want to give you a, a final illustration from this psalm, and it's the story of Joseph in verses 16 to 20, or 16 to 22. A lesson of how to understand difficult circumstances. Look at the story of Joseph. Verse 16, when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. So this Joseph is going through some very difficult times. His brothers sell him into slavery. He's bought by Potiphar. He's seeking to serve Potiphar and his family as best he can in a godly manner. Potiphar's wife accuses him of a heinous crime that he didn't do. He's put in prison. All of these negative things are going on. So how do you give praise to God when your life is turned on its head, when it seems like God is working against you? You've got to believe. You've got to understand that God is working all things for good for His people. You may not understand it. It may not appear that way to you, but he is, and the story of Joseph is such a beautiful testimony to that. Joseph is sent along this difficult journey so that God can fulfill his covenant promise to keep his people alive during a time of famine because Joseph becomes a central player in providing food through the Egyptian government for his father and his brothers, and he sustains the nation through them. That's how God works, even in the midst of difficulties. We had a gentleman in our church who died this year, and he had cancer, and that's a very difficult thing to have to face. He had gone to church for many years. People would have never doubted his salvation. But he told, he's told this story to many of us. God used his cancer to help him realize that he really wasn't saved. And it brought him to true conversion in Christ. So do you see, even what appears to be negatives, God uses for good. God is at work in all things turning them to good. So let us reflect upon that. Let us remember perspective and response to God as we approach this Thanksgiving season. And let it not just be something we do once uh, in a year, but let it be something that is a daily habit for us in our lives. Let us pray. Father, we come before you to give you thanks and to praise you for you are good to us. Lord, if we look back and, and we could see behind the scenes what you are doing spiritually to get us to the point where we are today, we would be amazed and blown away. You are faithful, O oh Lord, our God. We're told that even before the foundations of the world, you knew us and you worked everything in such a way to bring us to a point where we would see and understand and believe the gospel of Christ and submit to his lordship in our lives. 
Oh, Lord, uh, help us to learn, to grow uh, as Christians to, from, babe, from infant, infancy to maturity. And let us grow in our thanksgiving to you as well. You are a good God indeed. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.